Hi, you're listening to Him We Proclaim with Dr. John Fonville. During times of a public health crisis, churches are often asked to halt normal activities. Today, John talks about how when Christians obey governing authorities, it's actually a significant witness and important to the gospel. Let's listen now to this fourth message in the Models of Good Citizenship series. It's called The Gospel, Obeying God, and Praying for Authorities, Part 1. Here's John. If uh, you have your Bibles at your house or you have your Bibles here, (laughs) uh, turn with me to Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. We've been looking the past couple weeks at what Paul has been teaching to us about what what the concern was that he had for the believers in Crete, these young church plants, these young believers in Crete, about how they were to conduct themselves as citizens, the vocation of citizenship in society. We're seeing that this has a lot of uh, practical application for us as believers today as we find ourselves in the midst of uh, quite a bit of social unrest and difficulties in our own culture now. How, uh, how does God uh, call us as believers to live uh, in the midst of a, a very uncivil society, an unjust society many times? Well, he calls us to live just like he called these first century believers to live. And that's what we're looking at. Paul has taught us in this letter to Titus that the gospel brings order into Christ's church in three different areas. Chapter 1, he devotes it to the area of Christian leadership in the church. In chapter 2, he devotes it to uh, how the gospel creates order in church membership in the church. But then when you come to chapter 3, he takes up this uh, topic of Christian citizenship how Christians are to conduct themselves in in the larger society in which they find themselves living. And so what Paul does in chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, is this, is that he has four directives to help believers live as models of good citizenship. The purpose of this is he, he wants believers to live in a distinct way that is created by the gospel, which is chapter 3, verses 4 through 7, Because this distinct way of living, he argues, facilitates rather than hinders the evangelistic witness of the church, the mission of the church that Christ has given. And he says in chapter 3, verse 8, that when believers live like this, it positively benefits their unbelieving neighbors. And so let's look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 2, and this is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, and ready for every good need and work. And he says, verse 2, he says, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. And so this is the first directive that Paul gives, and he simply says to Titus to remind the believers in Crete and to remind us today, he says, remember the duties of good citizenship, and he lists seven civic duties that believers are to model in society. With these seven duties that can be broken up into two groups, the first is verse 1, the believer's duty to government authorities, and the second is the believer's duties to fellow citizens. So we're still looking at this first directive in terms of the believer's duty to government authorities. Listen again to what the Apostle Paul says. He says, remind them. He says, remind these believers in Crete 
to be obedient, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient. Now, as I have spoken about the last couple of weeks, I want us to look at some questions that this raises because Paul's directive for civil disobedience raises many questions, uh, particularly for American Christians who live in a democratic republic. And so a classic text for reflection on this is not just Titus chapter 3, verses 1, uh, verse 1, but also Romans chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Romans chapter 13. And let's just listen to what the Apostle Paul says in verses 1 through 7. He says this, he says, Every person is to be subject in subjection to the governing authorities. And then he says the reason why, he says, because or for there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same authority. For this authority established by God is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For this authority established by God, it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And so here in this passage in Romans chapter 13, Paul sets forth a a clear and detailed teaching regarding the Christian's uh, responsibility to civil authority. And so when we read passages like this in Romans chapter 13 and in Titus chapter 3, this is the question that immediately comes up to us. Are there no exceptions to our submission, right? Especially in America. Uh, Listen to what uh, this great uh, Lutheran theologian, Gene Veith, he writes about this. He says, Romans 13 makes many Christians squirm. (laughs) He says, uh, and he asks this question, are we always supposed to submit to our rulers? Does that mean that we must not even criticize them? The issue is especially troubling when Christians live under bad or oppressive rulers. Were the Christians of Germany obliged to submit to Hitler and to participate in his murderous, blasphemous schemes? What about unjust laws and evil regimes? Christian missionaries can be subject to the death penalty for telling someone about Jesus. Does Romans 13 mean that they should not evangelize the lost in nations whose leaders forbid it? So these are some good questions for us to think about. And so to think about this issue, I want to offer three points for you to consider today in regards to Paul's exhortation for Christians to submit themselves under all governing authorities. 
And let us just remind ourselves that chapter 3, verses 4 through 7 in Titus is the reason why we do this, the gospel. The gospel produces a submissive, obedient, subordinate heart to authority. And so let's think about this moment this morning. And let me just offer you this first point to consider about how we submit ourselves to all governing authorities. The first thing is this, is that governing authorities have not been granted the right to oppress their people. I think it's important to get that submission to, co- to the coercive power of the state is first and foremost, as one author wrote, prudential. He, he says, don't be stupid, which means think clearly about these issues. Don't compromise the church or your family. Don't blow your witness to the world, end quote. I think he's exactly right about that. But listen, even when a civil ruler does not know the true God, as would be the case with the Roman Empire and Caesar, of which Paul was talking about in both Titus chapter 3 and Romans 13, even when the civil ruler doesn't know God, Paul says that his vocation of, of being God's servant entails being a minister of God, a God's servant. In Romans chapter 13, verse 4, Paul says that civil authorities are to be God's servant. Let me just give you a couple of examples. Well, just one example we'll do this morning. Uh, In Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 9, uh, God refers to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. Listen, he calls him the king of Babylon, my servant. And so because, listen, civil rulers are God's servants, they are to love and serve their neighbors, the citizens. They're not to exploit and oppress them. Government authorities are not to use their power to persecute the adherents or non-adherents of any particular religion or to establish any form of evil. In Romans chapter 13, verse 4, Paul says that civil authorities are to work for the good of their citizens and to punish evildoers. So that civil authorities that punish and oppress their people, they are acting outside of their vocation. and They'll be held accountable for, for violating their stewardship and their vocation. I want you to listen again to how Gene Feith talks about this this vocation of of a civil servant, the state, ministers of authority, ministers of God. Listen to how he puts this in the context of the murder of George Floyd. He says that the purpose of each of our vocations is to love and serve our neighbors. But we can also sin in our vocations using our positions to hate and to hurt our neighbors. So what about the police? He says that the police are among the lawful magistrates of Romans 13, whom God uses to restrain and to punish evildoers, thus making it possible for sinful human beings to live together in societies. But even government officials are obliged to love and serve their neighbors whom they are supervising. They should not use their power and authority for their own self-aggrandizement, but for the good of their people. He says, otherwise, they are sinning against and violating their vocation. 
Being a police officer is a high and holy calling. Love and serve their neighbors by protecting the public from criminals and lawlessness. Sometimes police officers sacrifice their lives for us. They deserve our honor and our gratitude. The slogan of many police forces perfectly describes their vocation to serve and to protect. In fulfilling their vocation, police officers must also love and serve their neighbors whom they apprehend. The police are among the lawful magistrates who bear the sword, Romans 13, verse 4. And so because of this, they're authorized to use deadly force in carrying out their duty to protect the public. But they should not mistreat the malefactors whom they take into custody. And then he writes this. He says, kneeling on the neck of someone already in handcuffs who is begging for breath is a violation of a police officer's vocation. He was not loving, serving, or protecting the neighbor whom he had in custody. He's exactly right. And so this brings us to the second point to consider in regard to Paul's exhortation for Christians to submit themselves under all governing authorities. Uh, Just mind you that the first point was this, is that governing authorities have not been granted the right to oppress their people. The second point is this, is that there is a proper context for civil disobedience. Uh, one of my professors, Professor Scott Clark at Westminster Seminary in California, he's, he writes this. He says that Christians have a dual citizenship, and we've looked at that, that dual citizenship over the past couple of weeks. He says, but when our loyalties conflict, we prioritize our heavenly citizenship over our earthly citizenship. He says, yes, we are to submit to Caesar. That's what Paul says here. Caesar being Roman uh, instituted, uh, established government authorities. Yes, we are to submit to Caesar. Romans 13 verses 1 through 7 is quite clear. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 17 says, we are to honor the emperor, Caesar, government leaders. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 2 says that we are to pray for kings and all who are in high positions. Why? He says, so that we can live a peaceful and quiet, godly, and dignified life in every way. But there are limits to the obedience a Christian may render. For example, we cannot obey the magistrate when he demands that we sin. The apostles themselves, Professor Clark says, the apostles themselves set that line in the sand for us in Acts 5.29. Let me give you some more examples from Scripture in Daniel chapter 3. Uh, this famous story of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they disobeyed King Nebuchadnezzar uh, when they were brought into direct conflict with his decree to worship his golden image. In Daniel chapter 6, Daniel, who was a Babylonian government official, he disobeyed the, the, the Babylonian law, which brought him into direct conflict with the revealed law of God. In Acts chapter 4, verse 18, the Sanhedrin, which was the Jews' national ruling body and Supreme Court, they commanded Peter and John to stop speaking or teaching in the name of Jesus. 
And so Peter and John answered them like this, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. In Acts chapter 5, verses 7, 27 through 28, the high priest, speaking on behalf of the Sanhedrin, questioned Peter and the other apostles. And he said to them, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And then and again, in reply, Peter and the other apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Now, how does, this, how does this apply to us in our current situation in America, particularly with wearing face masks, right? <laughs> we all don't like having to wear face masks. And, and let me just say that Christians in America, are, we're, we're not yet in an Acts 529 moment, okay? Um, unlike the apostles in Acts chapter 5, who were specifically targeted because of their religion, Christians are not being specifically targeted because of their religion. We're worshiping today, and nobody has told Paramount Church, you can't preach the gospel today. Um, In his article, Professor Clark, he goes on to say this. He points out that the restrictions imposed by the Jewish authorities on the apostles, they were not temporary, and ours are temporary. We're we're not going to be wearing face masks forever. At least I hope not. If we do, then we'll revisit the situation. (laughs) All right? But for now, it's temporary, and it's public health. It's not, you can't preach Jesus in America. But Dr. Clark shows that when the Jews imp- uh, imposed these restrictions on the apostles, the Jewish authorities, uh, this wasn't temporary. Nor, listen, they, they issued in view of a grave, they weren't issuing restrictions to the apostles in view of a grave danger to public health. So this past week, we had a uh, Gulf Atlantic Diocese uh, clergy meeting with our bishop, Bishop Neil Labar. We call it GAD for short, Gulf Atlantic Diocese. And, uh, and Bishop Neil shared with us some insights on the history of churches facing past act epidemics. And I thought it was very helpful and it was very wise and prudent on his part, very insightful and actually very encouraging. Uh, Bishop Neil shared how churches have been through many epidemics throughout history. And he says that, historically speaking, it wasn't unusual for these churches to close down and later to reopen as a result of the epidemic or the pandemics that they faced. And he says, look, he says, though this may be new to us, it has been a reality throughout the history of the church. Uh, this one New Testament commentator about Titus chapter 3, verse 1, submit to governing authorities. He says, says, Paul would not have wanted these instructions carried out regardless of what the governing authorities were telling the Cretans to do. He says that Paul was writing at a time when Rome was not aggressively attacking the church. But as is true throughout Paul in the New Testament, obedience to God overrides all other concerns, especially the evil demands of an ungodly government. Dictators and oppressive governments like in North Korea that forbids any type of worship whatsoever. Uh, These dictators, these oppressive governments 
they're illegitimate, and they lack valid authority. And so this is what uh, Gene Veith says about it. He says, so is it ever right to disobey the authorities? He says, in almost every circumstance, a Christian should, in Peter's words, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. But there are rare times in which a ruler acts outside his authority by violating either his nation's law or the higher law of God. In this case, the rulers no longer have a basis for their authority. They act outside of their calling. They violate their vocation. Sometimes a government might pass a law that violates the law of God, and such law can hardly claim divine authority. And so whenever the laws of the governing authorities conflict with God's laws and the Christian's conscience is left with no alternative but to disobey civil authority, we should do so with respect. We should also listen carefully when exercising lawful civil disobedience. We should keep in mind that we have to be willing to accept the consequences of these actions. And by showing that we uh, respect the the God-given authority of governments. This is how Dr. Clark puts it. He says, Christians must obey God rather than men. But when we choose to apply that divinely revealed priority to civil life, we must be prepared to accept the consequences. Dr. Martin Luther King did. He says this, he knew that when he marched, he risked being attacked by police dogs and hit with water from a fire hose and more. He lived under the constant threat of death, a threat that was finally realized by a coward shooting from a bathroom window in Memphis. Civil disobedience in our present circumstances probably means a ticket or a fine, but it may not always be so. You see, when you get to the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation shows that when the state turns against the church, the the government, for example, was forbidding Christians to worship uh, Christ because in Paul's day, the the government called for the worship of Caesar. The book of Revelation shows that when the state turns against the church, Believers still have to submit to God even upon the pain of death. And so while Paul calls Romans in Romans 13, uh, verse 4, the, the, the instituted leaders of our nation, ministers of God, a generation later, John describes this same Roman Empire as the beast who is empowered by Satan to persecute the people of God. And so a Christian's confession that Jesus is Lord is likewise a confession that Caesar isn't, that the state isn't. Jesus is Lord, not the state. And so Christians must be cognizant that the kingdom of Christ can be seen as a threat to the power of the state. Here's a third thing to consider this morning. Paul views government authorities as instituted by God, Romans 13 verse 1. John Calvin says this about this passage. He says, no one ought to doubt that civil authority is a calling, not only holy and lawful before God, but also the most sacred and by far the most honorable of all callings in the whole life of mortal men. It's a powerful statement about government. And so Paul says in Romans chapter 13, verse 2, that to disobey civil authorities in matters that do not contradict God's law or violate the believer's conscience, it is to disobey God, or that it violates the laws of their nation. 
such disobedience and such insubordination, Paul's point in Titus chapter 3, mars rather than adorns the gospel and thus the church's witness to an unbelieving society is crippled. And so Christians are to live a godly life, both in private and in public, to adorn the gospel, Titus 2, verse 10, to honor the triune God who saves, chapter 3, verses 4 through 7, to positively benefit their unbelieving neighbors in society, Titus chapter 3, verse 8. In the book of Titus, there's an important point that we need to notice what Paul's teaching. Because as I said, in, 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 in Crete, Paul was addressing in these Cretan churches in the greater Cretan society a problem of insubordination. And so he teaches, this is the first uh, application for us. He teaches in the book of Titus that civil obedience, chapter 3, verse 1, Ecclesiastical obedience, Titus chapter 1, verse 6, Titus chapter 2, verse 15. Domestic obedience, Titus chapter 2, verse 5. Workplace obedience, chapter 2, verse 9, are all interrelated. Thanks, John. The message we heard is called The Gospel, Obeying God, and Praying for Authorities, Part 1. More from the Models of Good Citizenship series coming up next time. The mission of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. And it's our prayer that your heart will be filled with joy and a clear understanding of the gospel and God's word. If you want to hear a past broadcast, check out our podcast in iTunes or download our app. Just search for Dr. John Fonville in iTunes or Google Play. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to visit Pastor John's church in Jacksonville, Florida, you're always welcome. You can find out more at ParamountChurch.com. Thanks for listening and join us next time.